welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. So that's what's going on with me. So it's not the passage or the series or the day. It's just the preacher that, uh, whose voice is a little bit off this morning. But uh, you're not asking to hear from me. You're asking to hear from God. So that will be okay. Let me let you know something this morning that it's okay to be weak. It's okay to be weak. In fact, it's not just okay to be weak. It's kind of a requirement for the Christian life. It is good. It is necessary to be weak. One of my favorite hymns uh, is Come Ye Sinners. And in this hymn, there's two great verses of this hymn. And here's what it says. Let me read it to you. It says, Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is you to feel your need of him. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. I love that hymn because it, it proclaims our weakness as sinners and it, it proclaims the truth that if you are weak, if you realize your nothingness, then you're well on your way to knowing the power of God. One of the most glorious truths about the Christian life is that weakness is the prerequisite to power. Weakness is a prereq to power. Weakness is the place of God's power. We saw it in the verse that we prayed through this morning. Perhaps then that some of our problems in the Christian life arise because we aren't weak enough. Can you imagine? What kind of weak? Not necessarily physically weak or whatever it might be, but what the Bible talks about, what Jesus talks about is is blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who realize their spiritual depravity. Blessed are those who realize that any power they have is because of the power of Christ in them. Blessed are those who are meek, the Bible says. Jesus says this. Jesus tells us again in his word in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 through the Apostle Paul, Jesus says to him, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast, not in my power or might, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weakness so that Christ's power may reside in me, may dwell in me, may tabernacle in me. So I take pleasure in weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the truth from the the Word of God, and this is truth of the church in Philadelphia because we see that, again, the Lord has nothing against them, but we see that the Lord knows that they are but, they have but little power. They are a weak church, but they are a mighty church. They are a weak church, but they are a powerful church. The church of Philadelphia was small, likely, And weak by all human standards, they are of little power. But in God's eyes, it was a powerhouse of a church. And the Lord wants the churches to know. Remember how he ends all of these letters. This is for the churches. 
all seven of the churches as we go through the, the uh, Asia Minor, as, as uh, John writes and the Lord re- reveals himself to all these churches. And it's for the church at Riverside to hear this morning that if you are small and weak by all human standards, you can still be a powerful church, much like this church in Philadelphia. So that's what we'll be looking at this morning. Let me tell you a little bit about the city of Philadelphia. Look at Revelation chapter 3, verses 7. It says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia writes, and so we want to know a little bit about this city of Philadelphia. As you probably know, because we in the United States have a city named Philadelphia, it means brotherly love. We call our Philadelphia the city of brotherly love. The ruler who named this city named it in honor of his brother whom he loved. And so he named this city Philadelphia. Philadelphia is likely one of the youngest cities of all of these cities that we've seen so far uh, throughout of our series. It was approaching somewhere around 300 years old at the time of the writing of this letter. Uh, In AD 17, excuse me, the same earthquake, as you might remember last week, that rocked Sardis, rocked and devastated Philadelphia as well as they're somewhat close to each other. And not only was the city of Philadelphia damaged by this earthquake in AD 17, but the people were damaged by it as well. Its citizens were psychologically scarred by the event and remained in huts and booths outside the city because of the constant aftershocks that followed this great earthquake. So they were fearful of another earthquake to come, much like we saw in in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, after their big earthquake when that came through, that many of its people began to live outside of the, the city in huts and tents and things like that because they didn't want more walls to fall down upon them if another aftershock were to come. So these citizens lived in great fear of these future tremors, which would have some potential application for later in this letter. Go ahead and put, you, put it in mind. The Lord promises that he will make them a pillar. He will make them strong. So these fearful Philadelphians who are fearful of crumbling, God is going to tell them, I'm getting ahead of myself now, but I'm telling you why I'm telling you this, that he's going to make them strong. The Roman emperor Tiberius stepped in during these earthquakes and he exempted the city's residents from taxes while they rebuilt. So they named the city after him. They called it Neo Caesarea. So that was another name of the city of Philadelphia, the new city of Caesar. So they renamed it after this gracious and benevolent ruler. That's going to have some application as well towards the end because the Lord says, I'm going to give you a new name. I'm going to give you my name, not a name of an emperor city of Philadelphia, church in Philadelphia, but I'm going to give you my name, the name of the king of kings and the Lord of lords, not just someone who is able to exempt your taxes for a little while, but the one who paid the debt of your sin for eternity. Philadelphia was situated in a valley. Another thing about Philadelphia, on a very important road, its positioning wasn't so much for military purposes, but for missionary purposes. And maybe not in the missionary purposes that you're thinking of. William Hendrickson, a a great scholar on the book of Revelation, notes that from Philadelphia's beginning, it was a missionary city. For the city, it was missionaries of the, or the spread of, the Greek language and Greek culture and Greek 
manner. So it was very important in spreading Greek culture around the world. This was kind of the, the open door, the way that they walked through the city of Philadelphia to making the name of the Greek culture and Greek language known throughout the region. But as we will see as well, the church of Philadelphia was called to be a missionary church that God had opened a door for them. Or perhaps we should say that this city was well on its way or was living as a great commission church, spreading the name of Christ through the open doors that he had provided. So that's a little bit about the city of Philadelphia. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, verse 7, go ahead and look there, Revelation chapter 3. In the Philadelphia write, quote, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and shut and no one opens. As he's done throughout all of these letters, I've told you about the city. And the very first thing these letters are due is what? Hopefully you know this six weeks in. Get your eyes on Christ. Get your eyes on Christ. In a day and time like this, city of Philadelphia, church at Philadelphia, with all the uncertainty and all the persecution and all the questions you might have, you always start by getting your eyes on Christ. And brothers and sisters, if you take nothing away from this series, I hope you take that away. That no matter what you're walking through, the very first thing you do is get your eyes on Christ, and then you will start to get understanding of what the Lord is doing in the world. So he gets their eyes on Christ, and do you notice, and remember he's taking this from Revelation chapter 1, this glorious picture of the resurrected Christ, but he points out at least three things about the resurrected Christ that he wants this church in Philadelphia to know. The first thing he declares is that I am the Holy One. This is the words of the Holy One. The Bible is clear that Jesus is divine. He is holy. God is holy. Jesus is holy. Jesus is God. God alone is holy. Jesus is the Holy One. He is pure. He is set apart. He is undefiled without spot or blemish. That's who you're looking to. The Holy One, the set apart one, the perfect, righteous Son of God. That's the one who's talking to you, church in Philadelphia. Not only is he the Holy One, but do you see what he says next? The words of the Holy One, the true one. Not only is he holy, but it would follow that he is true. He is holy and he is only. He is the only true one. He is the true God. He speaks truth. Here's the point. You can trust him. He is trustworthy. You can rely upon him. You can hope in him. You can depend on him. You can lean on him because this holy one is the true one. There are no others. He's the only one who is holy. He's the only one who has set us apart. This is the one your eyes are upon. You can trust him, church. You can trust him. You can trust him. And he's the key holder. Listen to what it says. He who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and shuts and no one will open. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that this title, this title, this key holder, it's drawing from Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22, when they're talking about a man um, named Eliakim. And, and, and when, the, when the prophet Isaiah talks about him, he was one who, who controlled access to the throne of David. He could shut the door or open the door, and, 
And he is saying that I am the one who holds the key of David. I am the one. Christ alone is the key to salvation. He is the only door to salvation. He is the only way to salvation. He alone is the way. No one can enter the kingdom except through him. He is the door and he controls access to the king. Not these ones who are saying that you're not the true people of God. Not these ones from the synagogue of Satan who are saying they're the true people of God. It's Christ alone who makes a way to the Father. And here I am, the Holy One and the Righteous One and the True One. Look to the one who opens the way, who opens the door that you can only come through Christ for salvation. Look to Christ, the Holy One, the True One, the Key Holder, who opens the door, and He opens it, no one can shut. If He shuts it, no one can open. Jesus is the way to salvation. He holds and controls all things. The one who walks among the lampstands, the one who walks among the churches, He is the Holy One, the True One, and the Sovereign One. You can be secure in him. You can imagine this church in Philadelphia, as I've already told you, they're, they're probably struggling. The city is with security, with all these after trimmers, and, and how will this all end? When will this stop? This idea of security. But the church itself is, is struggling with the idea of security and power and, and sureness because they are, as we will see, weak. What would cause them to be insecure is because they are little in power. Let's keep reading in verse 8. So we've seen the city. Now let's see the church in Philadelphia. I've already given you some hints of what's going on with them. Let's not take my word for it. Let's see what the Word of God says. Verse 8, chapter 3 of Revelation. And I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. So what would cause this city to be insecure? I've told you that. What would cause this church to be insecure and to hear this promise from the Lord is that, you heard it, this is a church of what? Of little power. Now, in, in our mindsets, you might take that to be a reprimand. Remember, Jesus often in these letters, except for two churches, the church at Smyrna, and now in the church of Philadelphia, he gives these um, reprimands that I have this against you. He does not have this against them that they are weak. This is a truth we need to understand because the, the idea of what's going on, that they probably are a, a smaller church. And as it would look for human standards, they wouldn't be one that you would see an advertisement on or Facebook or whatever and say, now that's a powerful church. Now that's a church that's got something going on. They probably wouldn't look like that. And Jesus doesn't say, I have that against you. At all. That's not a reprimand. That's not what he has against him. He is just calling what he sees. I see that you are of little power. And to our ears, that may seem like an insult and a reprimand. 
people in our day and age, particularly in our Western culture, who are so insecure if we become weak or we struggle or whatever it might be, that is for the Christian not a reason for insecurity, just because you are little and weak. This church, this gathering of people, they're worshiping and and proclaiming the resurrected Christ. They are little, probably in number. They're probably unimpressive, unimpressive. They are weak, but they're Christ's, the Holy One, the true one, the key holder. He loves them, and they're weak, but oh, their Christ is strong. They're known by the resurrected Christ. Do you see what it says? It says, you are little in power. I've opened a door. You have not denied my name. We're talking about that more in a minute. Behold, I will make those, look at verse 9, who are the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews or not, but lie. So they're likely saying that we are the true people of God because we're ethnically Jewish. He said that's not the key. The key is Christ. And if they deny Christ, they deny a way to the, the thro- to, to, the, to the everlasting throne. The king of David is what he's saying. Behold, they will come down and bow before your feet because they will learn that I loved you. They are known and they are loved by the resurrected Christ. And therefore, this little flock, this little sheep, these weak folks have nothing to fear. They have no insecurity. They are secure because if they have come to the Father through Jesus Christ, the Son, they are secure forevermore. They are the true people of God. Paul says it like this in Romans 2, 28 and 29. You don't have to turn there, but I'll turn there and read it to you. Romans 2, 28 and 29, for no one who is a, is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one who inward, is inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So he is saying these ones of the synagogue of Satan, these ones who claim to be the people of God, no, you are the true people of God. You will be raised up and seated in the heavenly places, and they will bow down before you. He will humble the proud, and he will raise up the little and weak. Jesus loves sinners. He loves this church in Philadelphia. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he shows his love for us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus loves his own. John chapter 10, he lays down his life for his sheep. Weak sinners, weak sheep, don't be insecure because of your weakness. You are loved. And you are the true people of God. If you come to him by grace through faith, based on the finished work of Christ alone, through that open door that he has provided. No need to be insecure because of their weakness, little flock, little church. Be all, be secure as, because you're in Christ, he loves you. And be faithful. This church that had reason to be insecure by worldliness was secure because of Christ. And in this security, they're not reprimanded, but they are praised because of their faithfulness. Listen to what he said. I've opened a door. No one would shut you. You have little power. Listen to what else the word of God says. And yet, even in your weakness, you have kept my word and not denied my name. This powerful church is powerful because they're loved by God and their power comes not in their own name, 
but simply by trusting him, keeping his word and not denying his name. They are loved, therefore they obey. Their obedience is is not merit for the love of God, but because he has loved them, it says in verse 9, I have loved you, and oh, how you obey, because you know that I've loved you. This is where true power comes from, keeping his word and not denying his, his name. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. A powerful church is a church that trusts in the name and the power of Jesus. This church is little in power. This church is known by Christ, and this church is, even though they're going through hardship and being put down by the synagogue of Satan, yet they stay faithful to the word of God. And what's more, Christ has opened a door for them. And if he has opened a door, no one can shut it. A powerful church is a church that walks the open doors that he has opened. A powerful church is a church that gets what Jesus can do, open doors, and is so weak that unless Jesus opens the door, they are doomed, and Jesus is saying that I have opened it, and therefore no one will shut it. What is he talking about, this open door? Probably primarily what he's saying is I've opened the way of salvation for you. Jew, Jew and Gentile, it, it, it's all through faith in Jesus Christ. Primarily, this is likely what he's talking about. John chapter 10, uh, you, mu- you must come through the door. You must come through Jesus into the, 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 to the sheep pen. This is a place of security, that you are secure because I have opened the door for you and no one will shut it. No one who says that you are not a person of God because you are not Jewish like they're saying in the synagogue of Satan, that is no reason to think it's going to be shut. I've opened the way of salvation for you through Jesus Christ and no one will shut it. So the primary reason of this open door is assuring them of their security in Christ. I think another truth that Jesus is holding before them is not only is their salvation secure, that God has opened a door for them through Jesus Christ, and you can walk through that securely and trust him alone. Even in your weakness, you are saved, and you have the power of God with you. I think this also speaks, I talked earlier about a great commission church, I think this also speaks to an open door for mission. Paul uses these, this terminology as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 tells us, This, Paul says it like this, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. I wonder if the Lord Jesus Christ is echoing his words there a little bit. The church in Philadelphia, you are little, you are weak, but God has saved you, he's opened the door. And though you have many adversaries, just as the Apostle Paul said, though you have many adversaries, I've opened a door for you for ministry in that city. I've opened it and no one can close it. No adversary can close it. No no, no one who reviles you can close it. No one who accuses you can close it. It is open. I have made a way for ministry to happen in this city. He is saying, be hopeful, church. Even in the uncertainty, will more tremors come? Will more catastrophes come? Will more hurricanes come? Will more trials come? Will more overwhelming circumstances come? Maybe, but I've opened the door for you. 
I've placed you there. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Pray to the God of the harvest to send us out into the harvest that we might see a harvest of souls even in the city of River Ridge, even in the city of Philadelphia. So they have every reason to be secure and firm. The Holy One, the true one, the one who holds a key, he loves them. They're faithful to them, and he has opened a door for them. He has saved them and giving them ministry opportunities even in that city. So keep going, little, weak Philadelphia. And we get the promise. Verse 10. He always gets to live on the promises of God. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven in my own new name. And so now he's saying, because of all this, cling to the promises of God, church in Philadelphia. I've opened a door for you. You've patiently endured. The promise is yours. Be faithful. Don't let anyone seize your crown. Live for the reward that is in heaven And listen to the promises he's given so far. He's already given us promises, right? Before we get to verse 10. He's promised that he knows our works. He's aware of us. He's promised, we've already seen, that he's opened a door. He promised in these verses 8 and 9, I know that you were little. I know your works. I, I know your situation. I've opened a door. He's promised that I've loved you. The promises of God are beautiful. He promised He's starting to think future now, so promises for now. He knows us. He sees us. He knows where we are. Even now, the promises are now. He's opened the door, and he starts to look to future promises and future grace that I will raise you up, and the unbelievers will bow down, and the promises keep rolling to the future. Future grace. I will keep you from the trial that is coming. Depending on your view of Revelation, it may mean that in some sort of rapture, he takes us out so that we won't experience the tribulation. I tend to think that what's going on here is the promises of John 17 as Jesus prays for his, preach, for his, for his people that you will have trials in this world, but I will keep you through them. They will not overwhelm you and they will not consume you. John chapter 17, Jesus says that of his people. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. The promise is that he will keep you. You don't know what you face in the future. I don't know what I face in the future, but I know the promises of God that he will keep you. You can dwell securely. He will keep you. He promised it. He opened the door. He will not shut it. He will not cast you out. He will keep you. Future promise. He's coming soon. Our Christ is coming back. He's going to make everything right. He's going to right every wrong. He's going to restore this earth to all of its fullness so that shalom and peace and his glory will fill the earth as it was designed. Jesus is coming back. And so we hold on to that promise that Jesus will come back. So therefore we hold fast. For the reward is coming. 
And listen to the other promise. Not only is that I'll keep you and I'll coming for you to dwell among you, that I will make you a pillar. I told you this would be part of the application that you remember the earthquakes that they experienced that now he's saying, I will establish you in the household of God. You will be secure, you will be immovable, and you shall never go out of it. That's the promise. And I've opened the door, I will bring you in, I will dwell with you, you will dwell with me, and you will never go out of it. You are eternally secure. And I will give you a name, not the name of some Caesar that overlooks taxes, but I will give you my name that you have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, by the holy and true, by the holy, precious blood of Christ who has redeemed you. That's your new name. That's your identity. That's an identity that is secure. I will write the name of my God. This one is mine. Jared is mine. You are mine forevermore. That's a promise we can take and hold on to even when we were little and weak. And what's more, he will dwell with us because the new Jerusalem will come down out of heaven with my own new name for God himself will dwell among us and, and he's coming back and, and he will dwell with us and we will dwell with him and we will enjoy his presence forever more. Church in Philadelphia, you are little in power. But the powerful God who has resurrected you is coming back for you and you will dwell with him secure forevermore. So right now, live for that day. Live with your eyes to the heavens saying, the Lord is coming soon. Live with your eyes to the cross. He has opened a way for our salvation through the cross of Jesus Christ and it cannot be shut Look to the harvest, look to your city, look to the fields and say, God, you have opened the door for ministry for the gospel will go forth. It will go forth until Christ returns. So we trust you that there are people yet to be saved because Christ has not yet returned. So we know there's still some still to come. So we will still preach that others may come until Christ returns. So I want to close with the words of Christ. Here's what Jesus tells his disciples. Little flocks that have little power. Listen to words of your, the Holy One, the true one, the one who holds the key. He says, fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give it to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Think, think pillar. Think name forever. Nothing can destroy our heavenly rewards. So live for those rewards, not earthly rewards. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. So that they may open the door to him who at once, when he comes and knocks, Blessed are the servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at a table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, 
he would have not left his house to be broken into. You must also, listen to this church, little flock, fear not. Be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour we do not expect. I know we long for that day. Are you weak, little flock? Are you weak, little Christian? That's okay. For his power is made perfect in your weakness. Let's thank God for this.